2,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year, enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer to find out how Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship. As we... Family drank from a deep clear well to the hearts and moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. County gave new industry water, will they waste pollute then move away? They won't pay to bring lines to us, drinking arsenic in 
our wells each day. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Industry uses water up a river, trickle left when it comes through town. So much careless building and cutting, help their rivers greater clogged and brown. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well, there's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish I'm Power plants poisoning you and me. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. 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 Thank you. 
Talking Pay TV. I guess they're going to play it over in uh, Denver, Milwaukee. Blue Denver. Walking down the Denver town, watched the western sun go down. Thought that I would stop a while, switch around my TV dial. Got some free TV. Only price was a little boredom. Well, I'm not sure about my taste, but it seemed that TV land was a waste. I saw 30 westerns, 30 private eyes, 30 doctors operated before my eyes. None of the operations was successful, though. It's hard to operate with so much violence around. Well, every few minutes they'd take a break for a profound message on a stomach ache. They sold cures for dandruff, milk from the farm, perfume for my underarms. I've had enough. I'm sticking to greasy kid stuff. Well, the blood and gore was upon my floor, and I couldn't hardly stand no more. So I walked outside to get some air. A theater owner was standing there, carrying a picket sign. Said pay TV was un-American. He said I'm against that pay TV. I'd much rather have people pay me. Dollar for parking, two for the show, three for the babysitter, there you go. Get to see a widescreen spectacular. Hercules meets Godzilla. Audience meets nausea. Well, pay TV is fine to see. You get much better quality. Broadway shows, heavyweight fights, first-run movies every night. Viewers of Denver unite. You have nothing to lose but commercials. Well, people are afraid of something new. They laughed at planes before they flew. You know, you only get just what you buy, so give that pay TV a try. Remember, families that pay together, stay together.
Morning, everyone. This is Labor and Love Radio. You're tuned to MutinyRadio.fm. Brings you Labor and Love Radio every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. Stories by, for, and about working people, music of social significance, and a whole lot more. I'm the B, aka Bill Morgan. Welcoming you to the show. This is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. You better get that seat. You better help haul that chair up into the table where a worker, a worker's representative, can have that seat and speak for you. By the way, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Well, good morning, everybody. 
It's sort of misty in the mission today. Misty and a little overcast, but it'll clear up in time for Carnival. After several years of not having Carnival due to the pandemic, the organizers have gotten back together again to present the Bacchanal. Dancing groups from all over the Bay Area come to Carnival to show off themselves and their dances. They come from all different cultures, so come on down to the mission. Tomorrow there'll be a street fair. Carnival. What did we have there to begin with? We started out, well, we didn't start out. The last one we had was Masters of War, and that is so relevant now. It always has been relevant as long as uh, the U.S. has been dealing weapons to everybody who will buy them. And uh, wars are real bonanza. This war in Ukraine is a real bonanza for gun merchants, rocket merchants, merchants of death, merchants of murder. And that was Bob Dylan's Masters of War sung by the burger folk. You masters of war, I've seen through your game. Sort of like uh, Goldman Sachs. And they would uh, bet one way on the market in their own proprietary betting and encourage their clients who didn't know any better to take opposite positions. And then when the Senate hearing came, they, I'll never forget it. We're just market makers, okay? We find someone, we take a position and we find someone who's dumb enough to take the opposite position and we advise them to do it, and they lose their money. And the money that they lose is the money that we gain. Yes. Phil Oaks, before that, with Talkin' Pay TV, when that was a new thing. Phil Oaks uh, in the Woody Guthrie style. And then before that, a real jazz classic. A song that just right reminds you of one of those days in the summer where it's warm but not too warm. You go and sit outside, sit in your backyard, sit wherever you can sit, and relax. The West End Blues. Great trumpet player Bunny Berrigan, a great trumpet player in his own right, said that in the late 20s what you did if you were a trumpet player was... You got you pack your bags, you got your horn and your framed picture of Louis Armstrong, and you hit the road. Fruit of Labor. Their song, When Justice Comes Down Like Water, based on a quotation from M.L. King. Fruit of Labor. North Carolina. Check them out. Well, all right. We're here. And you're there. And we can talk to each other and share. 
Let's see. And as always, Malcolm X, kind of blue. Well, what do we got for you today? Stories to change the world, songs about essential workers, specifically about a nurse who sits up all night dying COVID patient. Labor history in two minutes. Memorial Day massacre. Someday we'll all be free with great Donny Hathaway. On the Labor Beat on Labor and Love Radio website. Story of a great worker for civil rights and peace and labor. Fired Rustin. Got radio labor. Labor notes, Amazon bites back and vote at second New York warehouse. That was a loser that followed the great victory. Audre Lorde, great poet, the late Audre, Audre Lorde, her poem, Cold. John Trudell, talking about saving the earth, saving our lives, saving it all together. And who was Lupe Marshall, one of the heroes of the Memorial Day strike. Right now, let's listen to Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, May 13th, 2022. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, a major survey shows the power of collective bargaining around the world. How teachers are working to protect children during the pandemic. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. And the West This is Radio Labor. A survey of 125 countries has shown the effectiveness of collective bargaining during a crisis like the pandemic. The survey was conducted by the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the UN specialized agency focused on matters of work in the world. The survey's conclusions are included in the ILO Social Dialogue Report for 2022, which is entitled Collective Bargaining for an Inclusive, Sustainable, and Resilient Recovery. 
I talked to Ariel Castro about the report. Mr. Castro is a senior workers specialist with the ILO's Bureau for Workers' Activities, which operates under its French acronym, ACTREV. I asked Mr. Castro how many countries were surveyed and the extent of collective bargaining in those countries. The report and the focus of the report is on collective bargaining, which we all know involves negotiations between employers and their organizations, on the other hand, and trade unions on the other, which typically results in a collective agreement or contract that sets terms and conditions of work. These agreements facilitate equality and inclusion and contribute to safe and healthy workplaces and can be a source, an important source of resilience. This flagship report uh, we're talking about is based on a review of the existing legal and regulatory framework in 125 countries, data on the coverage of collective agreements in 98 countries, and research into uh, collective agreements and practices in about 80 countries in all, in all the regions of the world and with employers and workers' organizations. Three themes are addressed by the report. First is that Developments in respect of the effective recognition of the right to collective bargaining for all workers and uh, the regulatory co coverage of collective agreements is there. The report finds that there has been progress around the world. For example, the coverage of domestic uh, workers, public sector workers, workers in agriculture and export processing zones, and platform workers are enjoying the right to collective bargaining. Based on the data for 98 countries, one in three workers around the world have their terms and conditions of work set by a collective agreement. And there's like a diversity in terms of the collective bargaining coverage here. For example, 1% in Cambodia and Thailand to 98% in countries like Austria, France, and Italy. And where bargaining takes by a single employer, an average of 15 0.8% of employees are covered by collective agreements, and where it takes place in multi-employer bargaining arrangements involving employers, organizations, and trade unions at sectoral and other levels, an average of 71% of employees have their terms and conditions of employment set by collective agreements. These, in particular countries and settings, collective agreements provide inclusive labor protection to migrant workers, workers in diverse work arrangements, and temporary and permanent workers. Second, the report provides a first insight into the content of these agreements, such as wages, working hours, and rest periods across very different contexts. Uh, the report finds that in addition to wages and working time, which have been the traditional bread and butter issues in agreements, employers, employers' organizations, and trade unions are making joint commitments in agreements that foster, for example, gender equality, diversity, inclusion, ensure safe workplaces, provide paid sick leave and health benefits, and address changes shaking up the world of work, for example, agreements on framework for skills development, etc. And lastly, the report uh, looks at the role of collective bargaining during the pandemic. The report finds that where collective bargaining was an accepted practice, employers and workers use it to ensure safe workplaces, safe jobs and earnings, and safeguard business continuity. For tens of millions of girls and boys, the world is a hostile place. That is Susan Hopgood, the president of Education International. She was speaking to the International Summit on the Teaching Profession, the ISTP, on May 12, 2022. 
the theme of the conference was governments and teachers unions working together to leave no one behind. Education International is the global union of teachers and other education workers. It represents more than 30 million union members in 172 countries. Ms. Hopgood. To our colleagues and ministry and government counterparts from around the world, our sincerest appreciation for your presence. Your attendance at the highest levels of your organisations is a demonstration of real commitment to our dialogue. It has shown dedication to our shared premise that sound education policy and improvement requires the involvement of teachers and their unions and their governments. This premise has become more self-evident each year. The pandemic isn't finished with us yet, but we already know that the most resilient education systems are the ones where teachers, school communities and leaders and governments have learnt to innovate together, to follow the science, to follow the data and tend to the needs of the whole child. Facing the difficult truths and taking the lead for our children's future has never been more important or required so much concerted collaborative effort. For tens of millions of girls and boys, the world is a hostile place. From the latest savage attacks of the Russian military to the relentless brutality of occupations to the seemingly endless trek of refugees, the greatest burden falls on our children. Of course, hard realities can never be made childproof, but we must take the target off the backs of the most vulnerable. Education is our hope for our children, for our planet. This 2022 IST descriptor, moving forward, working together to leave no one behind, is a theme that describes our challenge. Hope requires that we learn together how crises can be confronted to make and keep students optimistic about the future. We know that elements of pessimism, isolation and despair in our students can be traded for optimism when facts replace falsehoods and a sense of agency replaces despair. Our focus on the role of teachers and governments working together to secure a sustainable future gives us the opportunity to discuss how to build resilience and agency in our students. You might say we have had a head start on this week because we're familiar with the tools of the job. They should be inherent in democracies with vibrant education systems, well resourced in the public sector. Of course, nothing can be taken for granted. All around us, the lens of fact and weight of truth are increasingly distorted or tipped by the sorts of extremist partisanship cropping up in even the democratic world. Lessons rewritten by those with a stake in prejudice, inequity and, yes, ignorance, are not a new history. They are an old and ugly disinternment of bigotry and fascism. Like it or not, our workplaces are in a lead role of resistance against these bids for power. Our students deserve better. We know their future and the future of the world demands it. And we know that the interconnected elements of our education systems, all of us, we are the bridge. In our 2016 summit in Berlin, we discussed the crisis in refugee education extensively. We learned then the only way education systems can respond successfully is for governments to work in partnership with teachers and their unions. Putin's war on Ukraine has exponentially worsened the crisis and provides us an urgent opportunity to address the most effective ways to collaborate in solving the practical problems before us. Now is the time to move, as they say,
from inspiration to perspiration. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the planned national general strike in Sri Lanka as unions there throw their considerable weight behind anti-government protests. We also carried news of the unprecedented second strike in less than a month by delivery service workers in the United Arab Emirates, a country that is hostile to worker organizing, to say the least. And we had coverage of the efforts being made to support and protect Afghan union activists. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found stories about the struggles of workers in jobs that are almost exclusively performed by women in India, a survey of the experiences of women union leaders in Australia, and why nurses in New Zealand are flabbergasted, that's their union's word, at sexist changes to that country's immigration rules. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week includes a report on new research indicating that many public buildings in the United Kingdom contain dangerous levels of asbestos, the death of a journalist in Palestine, an increase in the number of workplace assaults being experienced by Irish nurses, and a huge win for construction workers in Panama. We also had coverage of the 30th anniversary of a mining disaster in Canada and the deaths last week of yet more South African miners. Our current photo of the week comes to us from Iceland, where trade unions celebrated May Day with a march through the streets of Reykjavik, complete with union marching bands and banners. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the requests of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade union activists in Kazakhstan, Belarus, Pakistan, and in Lithuania. In just a few seconds, you can do your part in these struggles by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. No, Bogart, you got to get out. You, you're famous enough. Go away. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. As Derek mentioned, this is the 30th anniversary of a mining disaster in Nova Scotia, Canada. It is being commemorated as miners died in a mine in South Africa just last week. Here is Ronnie McEwen with the Westray song about the Canadian tragedy. Trust and faith deep down in the West Street. 
And that's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger.
That was our uh, radio labor mix. Um, started out with radio labor and <clears throat> union song to follow that, and then a couple of songs from an album called Fallen Heroes, Songs for Essential Workers. We had TikTok about a nurse who's can't go home because she's working 12-hour shifts, so she just gets a hotel room and tries to sleep. And the next one following was a beautiful nurse's lullaby as a nurse sings her dying patient to sleep. It's always good to remember these people who are who seem invisible, and it's us, too. We're the ones, teachers and nurses, doctors, and all the support workers, the people who clean for us, people who keep things neat for us, people who every night come through and make the world new so the moguls can make their deals. This is The B. My name is Bill Morgan, and you're listening to Labor and Love Radio on mutinyradio.fm. I want to take a look at what's going on now, some organizing that's going on right now. Of course, I'm referring to Amazon, referring to Trader Joe's now, referring to 
Starbucks. Here's the article, Amazon Bites Back and Voted Second New York Warehouse. Amazon Labor Union, after making history in April, when it won its first ever unionized Amazon warehouse, JFK 8, on Staten Island, New York, was routed in May in a second election at LDJ 5, another warehouse in the same complex. Amazon waged a fierce union-busting campaign, and it worked. Out of 1,633 eligible voters, 998 cast ballots. That's roughly 10 out of 16. Five out of eight. 62, 63% of, of workers voted. 998 cast ballots, 380 yes, and 618 no. There were no challenge ballots, and two ballots were voided. The ALU's lawyer, Seth Goldstein, has said the union will challenge the outcome. This is what Amazon did to foresaw a union, development of another union shop. Work organizations, work organizers faced an uphill battle in replicating their success at the second warehouse because it is relatively new, having opened in 2020 and its workforce is largely part-timers. So this will be something that uh, Amazon will do in the future, hire more part-timers. They're more dependent on the income, and they're not as dedicated to the day-in, day-out, eight-hour day. Amazon fired several dozen managers after the JFK vote. The company also fired warehouse workers and ALU organizers Tristan Dutchen and Matt Cusick. The union is launching a campaign to demand their reinstatement and that of other union supporters fired in what the union says is retaliation for their organizing. I think after winning JFK 8, some of us thought the LDJ 5 would be an easy win, Wesley said, one of the organizers. He continues, and what we realized was that we were absolutely wrong. Amazon is really angry at us for winning JFK 8. We weren't expecting it at all. And now they're giving us everything they've got here at LDJ 5. They successfully rallied some anti-union workers. So we had to fight a lot of misinformation and rumors and lies. One step forward and one step back. 
In that time, Amazon planted a seed of very deep anti-unionism in a lot of the workers. So, this is amazing. Look at the lengths to which Amazon would go. I mean, Jeff Bezos insisted that workers wanted a union to respect their wishes. Deep South baristas strike Starbucks. Starbucks baristas in Columbia, South Carolina, return to their jobs on Saturday, following a three-day walkout to protest anti-union retaliation. Managers began de denying employees promotions and transfers several weeks ago after 22 of the 28 partners at the Millwood Avenue store petitioned the National Labor Relations Board for union representation. Starbucks retaliated by firing a popular store manager for refusing to engage in union busting. Two hours after learning of their manager dismissal, the entire shift walked out forcing the store to close early. She was a large reason a lot of us were still with the company, said barista Sophie Ryan, of her former manager. Starbucks loves to push this agenda, agenda of t togetherness, equality, and partnership. We're looking to make sure they're keeping up with that agenda and making sure that people can actually live off what they do while loving it. The union election is presently underway via mail. Votes will be tallied on June 3rd, so we'll be able to tell you about that one. And, uh... Let's see, one more... We have one more here. Fired Rustin. Facebook. Pardon me, listen up here to some jazz. And we'll be right back. This is the B, and it's stopped the top of the clock, the 11th.
Okay, back now. Starting our second hour of Labor and Love. And I want to continue on with a few of the contemporary organizing stories. A rapidly growing Starbucks union in numbers. This is from Popular Resistance. Based on current filings alone, Starbucks Union is already on track to have 6,400 workers at 230 stores. Starbucks workers began rapidly unionizing the Starbucks workforce late last year. First election filing came in August of last year. The next few months, a few more representation petitions were filed with the NRB, but not many. By the end of 2021, the Starbucks Union had only filed for 14 elections. It was in January of this year that union activity rapidly increased. Between January 1st and May 10th, the union filed 251 representation representation petitions, nearly two per day. So far, the NLRB has conducted 60 union elections at Starbucks, with the union winning 54, 90% of those 60. There are 1,514 workers now represented at the 54 stores that have voted for a union. These same numbers hold for the 193 open cases. Where an election has not yet been administered, then the Starbucks union will soon win an additional 174 elections and thereby add an additional 4,870 workers to their role. Combining with the numbers from the elections that have been run and these projections for the elections that will be run soon reveals that based on current filings alone, the Starbucks union is likely to have 6,384 workers at 228 locations in the next few months. We're here for Starbucks. Trader Joe's now is organizing. Starbucks, Amazon, this is In These Times, the article's by Jeremy Gantz. Workers are pushing for the grocery store chain's first union. A frontline worker fear and frustration grew in March 2020. Later, Joe's CEO Dan Bain sent an anti-unionization letter to the grocery store's employees. In it, he pledged that if 30% of the workers in any location wanted a union election, it would happen. No store ended up pushing for an election in that early pandemic period. 
A dismay group of Trader Joe's workers in western Massachusetts sent Bain their own letter. In the letter, they pointed out that as far as federal regulations went, and 30% or more of the workers wanted an election, they would have to, by law, have the election. So he's not saying anything. Partially in, partly inspired by campaigns to unionize Starbucks and Amazon, Trader Joe's workers hoped to establish the chain's first union, a new independent union called Trader Joe's United, at Store 512 in Hadley. Hadley, Massachusetts, I suppose. Discontent has been growing among staff for years regarding rolled-back benefits, stagnant wages, and unaddressed health and safety issues. And during the pandemic, the company was not as vigilant as workers would have liked. Union is the only way we'll have power to protect what we have and improve our workplace, says Meg Yusif was worked at the store for 18 years. Despite the store's workers clearly voicing displeasure, Yosef said things have continued to go in a direction that's not good for the crew. The company continues to take things away. For example, reducing retirement fund contributions from 15% of a worker's annual pay to 5% retirement contributions on 2021 saving earnings. You're making grocery store wages. It's hard to save and plan for retirement. And again and again here I say, people wring their hands and worry about the labor movement. The labor movement will never go away. Because the conditions that make for labor movement are part of capitalism. You screw over your workers to get as much as you can, as much labor as you can out of them while paying them as little as possible. While scrimping on their benefits or giving them no benefits at all. And this is a worldwide phenomenon. Okay, Trader Joe's, while the company has successfully carved out a niche customer experience, its niche isn't small. Private company has more stores than Whole Foods at 556. Across the country, employs about 10,000 people and pulls in nearly $14 billion in annual income same German family that owns the discount chain Aldi owns Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's workers in other parts of the country began pushing for a union. The effort went nowhere after major pushback from management, including anti-union lectures from store managers and a letter from Dan Bain sent to employees' homes claiming unions were trying to drive discontent. 
The group is determined to change the company's course. We're a tight-knit crew, and we know our jobs best, Yusuf says. We feel the independent union route will give us the most autonomy. Okay. Let's uh, go with a little song here. Picked out one by great Johnny Hathaway. If you don't have an air... Someday we'll all be free. Keep going. 
Try this strange 10-second technique tonight to reverse type 2 diabetes. Most people continue. what happens when I sit on a stage. <laughs> Not much more. This is about it. You'll notice no sudden or dramatic change in either my instrumental or vocal attack, as it were. This is nonetheless an American folk song. Did you recognize it as such? Of course you would. You, you don't hear them much anymore. Don't hear them on your AM radio, huh? Folk singers hardly ever sing them. That's because they're boring. <laughs> Folk music is boring. <laughs> Whack, fall the die, do, blow, e, winds, high, ho, hell, that's boring. But I am a folk singer. This is a folk music organization. You are ostensibly the folk, n'est-ce pas? That means we own this song together, right? We have thereby incurred certain social obligations which we will faithfully discharge, right? We're gonna sing this damn song together, boring or not. I'm still in Nevada City, California, up there in the foothills of the Sierra. All in the foothills, but it's spelled like that. Oh, the old gold mining town. I've talked to some of you about that. 2,700 people there, one of the 49ers towns. And I also told you about the only social life in town being the, the Books of Harmony New Age bookstore, where people go down in the evening and channel dolphins and uh, Martians. It's a New Age chronosynclastic infundibulum, or epicenter, as it were, Nevada City, California. Well, I was gone for a bit. Uh, on one of the trips since I saw you last, and I got back, and uh, my wife had bought the, the bookstore. Um, <laughs> so I am now ostensibly part, part proprietor of a New Age bookstore in Nevada City, California. <laughs> Can you picture that? <laughs> well, and I'm open to all those things. If you live in California, you've got to be open. If you're not, they pry you open. I can't just got all the new men's literature in there. Uh, most of my most of my men friends belong to men's Robert Live men's drumming circles. We do that here. Healthy. They they're out in the in the in the wilderness, caterwauling and flailing away at those things and dragging their scrotums through the underbrush. It's Swing in the trees and we steal sheep. We don't have a, a drumming leader, we have a grooming order. Robert Bly came by on one of his workshop trips to teach us how to drum.
nerfs. You got nerfs around here. New age rural professionals. Nevada City, California. <laughs> Out cruising the back roads in their old green carryalls with their car stereos, blaring meditation music out into the wilderness. It's a, it's a caution. Whole place lightning struck by the peripatetic ruminations of the Tibetan ruling class in exile. <laughs> a lot of Buddhists around there. Meanwhile, this very minute, old Jesse McVeigh, the well digger, nobody knows how old he is, lived in that county all of his life, is sitting at the bar of the National Hotel this very minute, looking at the freaks out in the street and muttering under his breath, no matter how new age you get, old age gonna kick your ass. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Nevada City, California. Here's one more item for you, the last in our civics book, rights. Boy, everyone in this country is always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right, you have no right, we have a right, they don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up, like the boogeyman. <laughs> the three little pigs, Pinocchio, Mother Goose, shit like that. Rights are an idea, they're just imaginary. They're a cute idea, cute, but that's all cute and fictional. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. The God excuse. The last refuge of a man with no answers and no argument, it came from God. Anything we can't describe must have come from God. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day, and he would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. God would have been looking out for you. You know that? He wouldn't have been worried about making sure you have a gun so you could get drunk on Sunday night and kill your girlfriend's parents. But let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? The Bill of Rights in this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things like slavery. Just fucking slipped his mind. But let's say, let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29. The Belgians have 25. The Swedish have only six. And some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? 
no rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Here's one more item for you, the last in our civics book. Rights. Boy, everyone in this country is always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right. You have no right. We have a right. They don't have a right. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up. Okay, George, we heard it once. <clears throat> George Carlin with his ominous warning that we have no rights, and he points out that... <clears throat> All you have to do is uh, look online about uh, 1941. Japanese Americans had rights. They were American citizens. <clears throat> were those rights effective? No. No. The, in the madness of the time, and the racism that came out, as it has lately as well, against Asian people. We simply threw them in jail. We called them relocation camps. They were concentration camps. They got food and they got water and they had some autonomy to do things on their own, but they were prisoners. And why? Because they were Japanese from Japanese families. Their rights went out the window. Before that, Utah Phillips thinking, singing about Nevada City, California, and the changes it's gone through since the coming of the New Age, New Age philosophy. A beautiful song before that by Donny Hathaway, a lyric poet of the First Order. Someday we'll all be free. Well, Donnie, we're still waiting. We believe you, but... And Donnie will respond. you got to do it on your own. These people who are around the country at Starbucks, Trader Joe's, Amazon, they're doing your work for you. They're starting a great social revolution. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to be in it? Or are you going to be uh, part of the problem? See if I can find a song that will express that. And of course, you know what song it is, but... Mm. And... Uh, Yes, it's 
Better there with Bushwah Town. Washington is a Bushwah Town. All right, let's get on now with uh, Audrey Lord. Audrey Lord was a poet and a writer, a self-described black lesbian mother warrior poet she dedicated her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustices of racism classism sexism and homophobia lord was born in new york city to west indian immigrant parents she attended catholic schools before graduating from Hunter High School and published her first poem in Seventeen magazine while she was a student there. She wrote, I used to speak in poetry. I would read poems and I would memorize them. People would say, what do you think, Audrey? What happened to yesterday? And I would recite a poem and somewhere in that poem would be a line or a feeling I would be sharing. She had two children with her husband, Edward Edwin Rollins, a white gay man before they divorced in 1970. Met her longtime partner, Francis Clayton, in 1972. Lord articulated early on the intersections of race, class, and gender in canonical essays such as The Master's Tools Will Not Dismantle a Master's House. Her poetry and indeed all her writing, according to contributor Joan Martin in Black Women Writers, rings with passion, sincerity, perception, and depth of feeling. 
concerned with modern society's tendency to categorize groups of people, Lord fought the marginalization of such categories as lesbian and black woman. Okay, I want to read uh, one of Audre Lorde's poems. And it's called Coal. So we're just beginning with Audre Lorde here. We'll have more of her things on. <clears throat> Coal by Audre Lorde. Is the total black being spoken from the earth's inside? I is the total black being spoken from the earth's inside. There are many kinds of open. How a diamond comes into a knot of flame, how a sound comes into a word, colored by who pays what for speaking. Some words are open, like a diamond on glass windows, singing out within the crash of passing suns. Then there are words like stapled wagers in a perforated book, buy and sign and tear apart. And come whatever wills all chances the stub remains. An ill-pulled tooth with a ragged edge. Some words live in my throat, breeding like adders. Others no sun, seeking like gypsies over my tongue to explode through my lips. Like young sparrows bursting from shell, some words bedevil me. Love is a word... Another kind of open, as a diamond comes into a knot of flame, I am black because I come from the earth's inside. Take my word for jewel in your open light. Audrey Lord. Okay, it's that time of our show where we call uh, where we call in our university students. Usually it's Vita and Yemen, both students, both uh, residents of Davis, California. And we talk to them about some social issue, try to get a student's point of view on what's happening. So... We call them, and they talk to us. We're going to call Vita. I don't know if Yemen is around today. Hello? Hello, Vita. How are you? Hi. Good morning. I'm doing well. That was a very beautiful poem by Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde. Uh, you know anything about Audre Lorde? Um, yeah, I do know about Audre Lorde. For um, Chicano studies, we had to read... Uh, oh, okay. some of her work a few times and it was very very inspiring and that was a really great poem that you read so thank you for reading that i've definitely heard of audrey lord but i certainly didn't know much about her next time i have a problem like that i'll ask you oh yeah well for chicano studies uh they definitely exposed us to her work because she she has a very decolonizing 
uh-huh. like methodology and theme and you know she really tears it all down and makes it very beautiful sounding though <laughs> okay well um unfortunately because there are such things going on we got to shift gears here and talk about uh, the horrific incidents with an S that are going on in our country every day. Yeah. More massacres than days. Right. And uh, the most recent one in Uvalde, Texas. Yeah. Uh, mostly Latino town, Mexican-Americans and Mexicans. Yeah. So, uh, I understand there's not much we can say or do. I mean, all we can do is feel bad, basically, and try to figure out what to do next. What ideas? Do you have any ideas for how we could stop doing these things to one another? Yeah, I do, actually. And I think it's terrible, and it's so, uh, I don't know, it's so sad. You know, it's so sad, but... You know, you think about the characteristics of the type of person or that person who did it, you know. And I was also thinking and telling Yemen that um, for young Latino males, uh, you know, things are really, they're pushed up against a lot of uh, barriers and things. And of course, that's no reason. But I think also mental health is a big deal. And I think that there really isn't enough, like, you know, outreach, especially to children of color, um, for mental health. And I think that that needs to happen. Like there was another shooter. I can't remember where it was, but the guy's name was Nick Cruz and he was a foster kid and, um, he got bullied a lot too. Uh And this got bullied a lot too. So, you know, it's just, it's tough. Like in this sense also, because it's not good to bully people. It's not good to, uh, you know, push people to an edge. And of course, like what he did isn't right. So I think it's a mix of our whole society, of course, like that. Yeah, it's funny because like he was trying to act like he's a man or something or be tough and get vengeance. And it's like he does it to elementary school children. So you can tell clearly the type of person who is operating there. You know, someone who's trying really hard what they think is to be a man, but they're very scared and they can only enact it on something that's much smaller than themselves. Well, so, I, I had read that he was bullied when he was in high school. Yeah, he was bullied a lot for the way he dressed and uh, people would call him gay because he would wear eyeliner. Um, and then he would try to talk to females very aggressively because it doesn't seem like he really knew what he was you know doing he wasn't socially assimilated it seems you know and that's just it's so tough and it doesn't give anyone any reason you know and it's sad that it's these young people who are doing it that's the saddest thing because you know i'm i'm not super young but i'm still young and i feel uh you know i feel like i can understand i try to understand people and i know how hard things certain things can be so it's like, as a society, I think we also need to be like, of course, we need to be less violent and not have guns, but we also need to be nicer because, like, 
in schools, people really bully each other and they go ham on each other. And there's there's a suicide epidemic right now in the United States among America's youth. So when you think about it, these young people like that, that kid committed suicide also. Even if he didn't, even if he wasn't going to do it, like he sort of committed suicide in a way because he ruined his whole life. Yeah. Messed up his whole life. And then the police killed him, I think. But it's like there's there's an epidemic of children so depressed that they're committing suicide. If you look at the numbers, I follow this man named David Politis on YouTube, and he is a, a policeman, and his son committed suicide. Jeez. You know what I mean? So people really like, you know, I'm not suicidal, but I've been through really hard things in the past, and I just think like, as a society, we need to be more hopeful. We need to not put so much negative news out there. And then people, of course, like capitalism being poor, you feel worthless. You feel like, you know, like there's no hope. Like what's the point of living? So it's just a, it's a nexus of so many things. And it's so sad, you know, and that's why I, I think of it that way too, because he's, he's still pretty young and it's like, dang, like, what has driven a young person like that to behave that way? And, you know, it's it's just crazy. It's Amazing. Crazy. So why did he go and shoot up an elementary school? I mean, if he was mad at, right. at high school kids who bullied him, I mean, I'm yeah. not saying he should have gone over there and shot them. No, no, yeah. That's but something happened in his mind, I guess. Um, right. Yeah, and if you think about it psychologically, like, you know, I mean, I do study a lot of psychology just for my own stuff, and if I want to be a lawyer, I like to analyze people and look them up and down and read them. But, I mean, he really, he really uh, seems like, like what I'm telling you, he's trying to act like a big man, but he's really a little boy who's scared. So who's he going to do that to? You know, like little children and their teachers. You know, yeah. he wasn't going to go after anyone who's an actual formidable subject, you know, or opponent. That's how people who are bullied are like they become bullies themselves. So he was bullied by someone else bigger than him. So now he's bigger than somebody else and yeah. he's going to come after them, you know. But Did yeah, you... I really I think society because, you know, young people, young kids are it. Things have changed because of social media. You know, everything's about appearance and having stuff and putting it out there and showing everybody about it. And it's sad because it really disenfranchises and makes a, the majority group of young kids feel like worthless about themselves at a very young age when we didn't have that before. Yeah. So it does affect children because they always want to be able to show, oh, I'm going to this cool place or I'm doing this thing. Look at what I got. Look, I got a new car. And this kid was very poor. You know, so it's it, it's sad. You know, I've I've been in high school and I've seen how mean be, and even in college, like people are very superficial sometimes. So I would try, in my opinion, also to just try to be nicer to people. If you see someone being bullied, at least try to reach out to them. Or you see someone who looks on the edge, you know, call somebody and say, call a mental health professional, call somebody and say, I think this person has been pushed to an edge and I think we need to intervene or something, you know, like his grandparents should have 
or his mom or somebody should have intervened to be like, okay, this kid's like really depressed and he looks really like antisocial and he's acting very strange. Uh, we need to call someone up and do something because, uh, and it sucks, you know, but you know, like you can't, you can't let someone just keep going because they'll hurt themselves or they may hurt someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Vita. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I've got Thank to run. I've got about 10 minutes show. left. But um, please say hello to your partner, Yemen. Yeah, I will tell him. And um, I hope everything's going well with you. Graduation's coming right up, huh? Yeah, graduation's coming in two weeks. And then I have one week break. And then I have uh, six weeks of summer session. And uh -huh. hopefully I'm done. Okay. Well, more power to you, and thanks so much for taking the time to respond to these horrific happenings. I guess. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thank you, and thank you for the Audrey Lord poem. That was beautiful. Oh, yeah. We'll do more Audrey Lord next week. I want to do more bi of her biography, too. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Vita Castaneda Morgan uh, talking about or trying to talk about, which is all uh, any of us can really do, is try to talk about this stuff. Uh, all right, let's see what we got. I want to do Bayard Rustin... We got about 10 minutes to do. Okay, let's do. Bayard Rustin. And Rustin was, is on the labor card. Oh, let's do this one. Minor league ball players. And we'll do Bayard Rustin next week. Major League Baseball reaches a settlement with minor league baseball players in a class action lawsuit. This is sort of an addendum to the whole Kurtz Flood story because for a long time, all that was happening was happening at the major league level. And these ball players, people, you know, Regular people with families who have a dream to play in the big leagues it takes time and it takes a good partner if you want to raise a family. This is from May 19th, and it, of all places, it's on the Dodger Blue website. So hold your nose and go to the Dodger Blue. <laughs> no, sorry about that. Um, on February 7th, 2014, three minor league baseball players filed a class action lawsuit against MLB claiming violations of state and federal minimum wage laws. A trial had been scheduled to begin on June 1st in the U.S. District Court in San Francisco. Lawyers representing MLB argued that minor league players did not deserve to be paid during spring training. Ah, 
Okay, so it's during spring training. All of a sudden, you don't need to eat. You don't need a place to stay. You don't need to support your family if you have one. You don't need to buy and maintain all the equipment that's necessary. Many believed a trial would have been damaging to the league, but one is no longer necessary as MLB and the minor league players reached a preliminary settlement in a class action lawsuit from the Atlantic. Here's an article about it from the Atlantic. The Athletic. We are pleased to report that the parties have reached a settlement in principle in this eight-year-old case, subject to court approval, counsel for the players said in a statement. We look forward to filing preliminary approval papers with the court and cannot comment further until then. A spokesman for MLB declined comment. Now, why MLB is making money hand over fist, even if fans aren't coming the way they used to before the pandemic. The deals they sign with media groups and with cable companies and television make them all rich men. Terms of the settlement were not immediately disclosed. One report suggests that the sides were discussing a possible payment in the $200 million range in recent weeks. Plaintiffs have requested until July 11th to file the approval papers. Minor league players typically aren't paid during spring training. But many around the sport are looking to change that. More than 1,000 minor league players signed a petition asking MLB to compensate them for their work in spring training. MLB has argued in the past that minor league players are seasonable employees, making them exempt from minimum wage law. However, a federal ruling in March stated that minor leaguers are year-round employees and should be paid accordingly. Several minor leaguers who spoke on condition of anonymity said that the petition is a step toward unionizing. Dodger heads. Minor league players typically aren't paid during spring training, but some teams provide housing and meals while they train in Arizona or Florida. Probably have to pay for it. Uh, Petition was organized by advocates for advocates for minor leaguers, a group formed in 2020 to promote better working conditions for minor league players. Uh, if you're a baseball fan and you're so interested, I would advise you to see a movie called Sugar, which is all about the factory, the talent factory that... Major League teams have in 
Places like the Dominican Republic, Venezuela. The game is becoming more and more Latino because of these places. This is a place where major leaguers, major league teams can find talented players and sign them to disadvantageous contracts, long-term, low pay. In some cases, then they, the players come to the U.S. and play. Most of them, of course, don't make it. But in this movie called Sugar, um, one ball player who doesn't make it unites with all the other players who are stranded in the U.S. trying to play baseball for a living, not wanting to return home. Maybe they wouldn't be able to work jobs and how they're sort of stuck here and how they combat that situation by guess what playing baseball together called sugar i advise you to see it and it also highlights the life of um native player white players in the u.s and black players u.s players who are sort of in this limbo. They're not quite good enough to bust through the the uh, ceiling and play major league ball, but they love baseball and they think they still might get a chance. At any rate, this is the B. And we're about signing off now. This is the B, and we're going out with our favorite song on this show. Can't you guess what it is? <laughs> um, we've got several versions of it. Internacional. the bee reminding you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Work on the morning shift with you. See you next week or hear you next week or you'll hear me next week if you tune in. Opinions by, for, and about working people and music of social significance. Kaori Miraji, Japanese classical guitarist playing International.
Four different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skin Care. Boy, 
they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Barn Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Yeah, it goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their, their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. 
I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bare exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com Timstesseract.com So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, six to eight on Joke Workshop with four minutes a 